That song reminds me of several years ago, because this week, in the end of August, we have a uh, European workers' conference. That's all the assembly missionaries from everywhere, from Israel to Ireland to uh, North Africa, come to the center of uh, Europe, and we get together and with our kids, and we have gads of kids, and uh, sing songs, study the Word of God. Oftentimes, it's David Gooding, who some of you know, and other speakers, uh, and I'll never forget one of the young missionary kids who, and that's why I asked, how old is that one? Two years old. This little boy was about two years old, and he, he sang that song in front of all of us. Shoin, Jesus, shoin. <laughs> I will ne- would never forget it. We just love it. Because two years old, getting the message into his heart and into his head was really fantastic. Another one I can't help but sharing, too, was just a couple years ago. Uh, you might know the Malatics. I'm praying for them in the book. And one of their little boys came out of their Bible study time, and it was sports time. And so I had baseball bats and whatnot because they don't have that in Europe. And I said, so how's it going in your class? He said, oh, I'm really having a hard time. I said, what's the matter? He says, well, I'm having a hard time with self-control. <laughs> I went, wow, this kid's about five years old. What adult in America is struggling with self-control? That was really cool. A missionary kid is. And so praise the Lord and pray for them, too. I have another birthday. Incidentally, 100th birthday of my mother as of today. She's in heaven. And so that was kind of neat. I shared that with the little girl that was sitting next to me. and said, that's the same day as my mommy uh, 100 years ago. She received the Lord later in life after I did. Um, it was a, a real honor for me as a son to uh, shine in the family and see my mother intrigued and then gave her why. I said, Jesus said this. I read it in my Catholic Bible that she was reading too. And she received the Lord as her Savior. Then my sister, and then quite a few years later, my father too said, I wasted my life. I want to be a Christian like you. God's word through a child can do wonders. You don't know what you're doing uh, until heaven. Uh, The children's ministry here is really powerful because they're talking to their little friends at school. They don't have hang-ups like we do, like, what are they going to think about me? They just shine for Jesus, and that's great. Well, let's pray about our fishing net today, uh, the final in the series of five different messages. I kind of sped them up because I have a lot of messages about leading people to Christ, but we concentrated on that uh, finger that represents fishing because testifying is rather easy to do if you get going, you get the courage to say, I'm going to tell people I'm saved. Then, and sowing the seed is pretty easy to give a gospel. I brought some more um, Bibles. By the way, I took a trip over to Lifeway, uh, and they have a special, that big pile of Bibles. Please don't take my Bibles. <laughs> I bought a, uh, Someone gave me $50 this week, and so I said, okay, I'm going to put it with my $50, and I bought $100 worth of stuff there. So uh, they're expensive. However, that pile of nice leather-bound black Bibles on India paper, well-sewn, don't fall apart. $4 a piece. They're normally 20 They're on big sale this week. Go over there and wipe them out. <laughs> and the other larger Bibles, some of those I bought at the Walmart, they're a little less expensive than Lifeway. Don't tell them. But <laughs> in fact, quite a bit expensive, less expensive. Um, do get yourself armed with that seed so you can sow it. But then fishing, asking those questions, that's often the difficult part. And we saw that even this week, the... Um, I guess about 100 guys that showed up for soccer to practice and then halftime. Intrigued them with, I told them my testimony, and then sowed some seeds and gave them the Gospel of John. But then they wanted to go back and play soccer. So we didn't get to ask them questions. So I walked around the field, and they knew who I was at that point, and they, especially the goalies, would come over and talk to me and start asking me questions. How did you get to do this? And... uh, it was good. I got to ask them some questions, too. Pray that some of those guys will come, because they did say they would like to come this afternoon. This afternoon is the fishing time. Okay. Let's face it. Fishermen go out, rain or shine. If you're a real fisherman, who cares if it's raining? You're out there on the river anyway. So uh, take the challenge. It may be difficult, but um, the Lord knows, and there's a reason for that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to Hear your word once again. Hear your voice as you are the great fisher of men. You came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we were certainly lost until you fished us out of this great world, this ocean that's filled with shark and others that just want to gobble us up. Thank you for saving us. 
thank you for drawing us into your boat and that we can fellowship one with another. Thank you so much for the love that you've given us for others. Pray that you would use that love to motivate us that we can't keep silent like a burning fire in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read a passage this morning from, oh yeah, I see that did did hit one button there. Let's make that a little bit bigger so I can see it. Uh, our key passage today is John chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, the end of the gospel. We've journeyed with John to meet Jesus. And uh, I will be giving out some summaries. Oh boy, there are a big pile of messed up papers there anyway. Uh, there are two different sets. <laughs> yeah, Malcolm, if you can separate them out. There's one that's the survey of the book of John, and then there's another about the... Um, uh, some threads in our net. And um, so we're going to look at the end of the book of John now because at the beginning we saw where uh, there was a verse just quoted where Jesus called some of uh, his first fishermen and said, Fear not, from now on you will be fishers of men. You'll be catching men alive, as literally we saw in the text in the Bible. Well, that day their net broke. Oh boy. And we don't want that to happen. For instance, today, if we go fishing, we talk to somebody and we say something that's just a little off. We try to argue with our own strength. We yank on that net too fast. And the net breaks and the person says, and walks away. Well, I have techniques. That's a whole other message of rebound, like basketball, when somebody blocks and you don't make the hoop. Uh, You grab that ball and you shoot again. You don't give up. Uh, So that's a a whole other story. But let's... Let's pray that the Lord shows us how to have a really good solid net because in this story, you'll see something very different. So John chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. I'll read it to you. Let's try putting some glasses on. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. This is the New American Standard Bible. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, in other words, a twin, and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, remember who brought him, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, do you not have any fish? You do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Notice that. That's heavy. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that, heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out out on the land, they saw charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Wonderful story, isn't it? God's word uh, tells us stories about real events in Jesus' life, historical things in Israel. These things are written for our edification. And they really did happen. Every word of God's uh, book is true. However, behind every physical thing that God ever did, every detail in creation, there's just as true a spiritual individual truth for us. For instance, falling asleep, God made us to have to go to sleep every single day. Every 24 hours, we are reminded that someday we're going to fall asleep in death and hopefully wake up to the glorious day with the Lord. God is preaching the gospel to every human being on this earth. That's why we read a passage this morning at the Lord's table about he is a sacrifice for the whole world. For instance, 1 John says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. Wow. Is everybody safe then? 
No, propitiation means a meeting place. Jesus cleared the, the dirt and filth of our sin nature out of the way and said, you know, even the most wicked sinner can meet with a holy God and get saved. I've died for all their sins, but many refuse and say, no, I don't want that propitiation. I don't want to meet with God. I don't want to receive him as my savior. And therefore, they have to pay for their sins by hell throughout eternity. No one goes to hell because God decided they, uh, they're no good and he doesn't love them. They go to hell because they turn their back on him because he's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. And the other passage we just read too about his sacrifice for all mankind. Very clear and wonderful. But we have the beautiful privilege of drawing in the net. And that is so crucial. As I said, many times we are good at the first two steps, the mission in our hand. And I hope you woke up all week long saying, oh boy, I've got this mission I've got to accomplish. That's the whole reason Jesus left me here. Am I doing it? Am I getting started with my testimony? Am I sowing the seed? Am I asking questions? Am I interceding for the lost that they be saved salvation is of the Lord and then when I have the privilege am I directing them to walk with Jesus to obey his commandments and so I'd like you to pray um, for those who this week I had the privilege of uh, meeting with Um, it was kind of fun I noticed the announcement was up there men's breakfast at 630 at McDonald's I was there but nobody else was (laughs) but the Lord was and so I had a great time fishing and um, talked to several people about the Lord, and one lady bowed her head in prayer and asked the Lord to save her. She was supposed to be here this morning. She didn't call me, so there's a reason. Something's going on. She knows where the chapel is. So when she comes with an elderly gentleman that she's caring for, you'll know because he'll come in a wheelchair, you'll know what's happening. It was McDonald's. That was a good time, and God is sending us out as fishermen Oftentimes he adds them to other churches like um, John and Dottie, I'll mention their name, I didn't mention them last week, who are going to a good church. It's the uh, First Baptist Bible Church, I think it's called, not too far from here. But the same thing, the Lord really worked in their lives. I met them in a parking lot and um, they saw the car and I talked to them about the Lord. And they came back later on after I did my shopping and wanted to invite me to to lunch. And so we spent lunchtime talking about the Lord. And they were interested in coming over here too. They might even show up this afternoon. But uh, the Lord is working in different lives and stirring them. The fishing net is asking questions. And that's what I like to do is after I've sowed the seed, after I've gotten people intrigued, ask them some questions. So in our series, uh, Fishing for Men, we need to take a good look at the net. This is a key passage, a key verse in the whole book as well. Uh, Two times in this verse that we just read, the word net is used. First, Peter obeyed and drew in the net. We also read in Mark, in the beginning, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, about the same event which is repeated in Luke 5.10, which was quoted this morning, and 10.1, that all believers are called to be fishermen. Jesus wants us to have a good net. Well, the net didn't break this time. Luke 5, 6 says their net broke the first time. The number of large fish is mentioned here. Uh, well, it's given in the, in the first passage, but here they're actually numbered. Do we have a strong enough net to draw them in? Do we have the technique of uh, being a fisherman? That I'd like to speak to some other time because there's a time and a place to draw in the net and you don't always just yank on it and then get the fish. As most fishermen will know, you'll probably lose them if you uh, pull at the wrong time. That's a whole other question. But the net needs to be strong in either case and not break. The word net appears 71 times in the Bible. What kind of net is it? And what kind of net should we be using? 47 times in the Old Testament, a net is a trap. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. Let's not use that kind of a net. I've seen Christians do that, say, hey, man, you're really good at baseball. I wish I could play like that. And I know they're not really honestly saying that. They're trying to flatter the guy so that they can uh, have a a trap to bring him into. That's what uh, all the cults do. There's even flirty evangelism I've heard about. 
uh, I met um, some Mormons that were involved in that kind of a thing too because they believe in multiple marriages. Five times in the New Testament, the net is a trap. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. You know, the devil even uses nets. Ah, we've got to be careful. We're not using the devil's net either. That's a net of dishonesty, of not telling the full truth. That's why I emphasize what kind of witness. Let's be good witnesses. Let's be good sowers of the seed, not twist around God's word, not exaggerate our story. And let's ask maybe biblical questions because they're even better than our questions. I invent questions, but I kind of hesitate. I prefer using the questions that are back on the table if you didn't get them. Uh, all the papers that we've handed out are there for your taking as well. Make sure the net is not the devil's net. Jesus' net is not a trap in any case. <clears throat> you know, two times in the New Testament, the net is a huge fishing net. One time in the net is a dredge net. That means it catches everything, just drags in everything. That sometimes we use, and mm, I don't know if it, I would qualify it as a sin, but um, that's sort of the net where we say, come on over to our Christmas program and we've got Christmas cookies and whatnot. And we're not really fishing for their soul, but we're fishing for heads to come to the meeting. I'm not accusing anybody, but sometimes we feel satisfied. We sang a lot of songs about satisfied in Jesus this morning with the results. And we say, wow, we must have had a good net this year because we had a lot of people that came to the big meeting. They came and they went and no one was saved. Is that the net we're supposed to be using? I don't think it's sinful. Certainly, they're under the sound of the gospel, as we like to say in the assemblies. And certainly, we were sincere and we were doing a good effort, but they're not saved. And we wonder, well, okay, let's examine the kind of net we're using. Is this a dredge net where we just bring in everything and everybody just because numbers count? But 12 times in the New Testament, the net is called a little net. And you know what's amazing? Jesus gives us a little net that will not break. Not a great big one, not a tricky one, but a little teeny net. And 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully. It's amazing that in every single one of the parables of Jesus, the word selected by the Holy Spirit under the inspiration of the, that the writers were guided by is a little net. They could have used the dredge net. They could have used the big strong nets. But specifically, the Greek word is chosen a little net. So let's fix our eyes on that. We just need to have a little net. Whew, that makes me feel better. It's not a lot of equipment. I don't have to go to seminary to be an evangelist. I just need a little net. Well, what is that net? Well, it's a, the Greek word is diktion, if you want to get into Greek. It's the small net. But just as in John 21:11, Jesus asked each one of us to let down your nets. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your little net. That's interesting because Peter might have had some big nets. But Jesus specified, I want you to use a little net. That's probably why it broke too. Jesus was teaching a spiritual lesson through physical objects. He said, Peter, when you're working for me, I want you to take a little net. Then none of the glory goes to you. It all goes to me because something miraculous is going to happen. And when you go out fishing this week, you may say, well, Paul, I don't have a big net. I don't know all those verses those kids know. Man, alive, I wish I had a memory like a, a five-year-old because they don't seem to forget any of the words and I forget them. I just have you know, a handful of verses that I can remember. Sometimes I stumble and don't ask me the reference, by the way. Well, that's a little net. Glory to God. And when you see someone saved, you'll say, wow, it wasn't me. I wasn't a fast talker. I didn't trick them. I, don't, I couldn't sell gas heat if, I, if somebody paid me for it. But someone got saved through the little net of the verses that I gave to them. Wow, that's fantastic. We only need to announce the truths of the gospel, not miracles, not arguments. Those are... Things that people add and that we do not see in the Gospels when Jesus does this. 1 Corinthians one twenty-two to 24 says, For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek for wisdom, 
and the world has not changed one bit. There's some people they say, I'm not going to get saved and see until I see a miracle happen in my life. And we get tempted by, okay, what do you need in prayer? I'll pray for you, and you'll see God will answer this prayer. That's not the way to go fishing, according to Jesus. Or others will say, well, I don't know, I'm scientific, I'm intellectual, you know, this stuff of believing in God, that's ridiculous. And so we go into apologetics and try to draw them with the apologetic arguments. I use apologetics. Oh, well, that doesn't make sense. Why does Paul use that then? To level the playing land, to say, okay, let's face it, I got you. I'm, I study as an engineer. I'm a math nerd and all this kind of stuff, and I love science. My father was a doctor of biology and whatnot. Let's talk about it. And then we end up with sort of the dust settles, and they're looking across the table, and usually the atheist will say to me, well, I guess I have to admit maybe I'm just an agnostic, and it isn't intellectually uh, reasonable to say I know God doesn't exist. I'm an atheist. And that's all it's good for. Not to bring them to Christ, just level the table and just say, okay, you smart Alec, you think you're so smart. God gave me a brain too, and we can debate this. Some people don't like to get into apologetics because they say, ooh, it's over my head, too much logic. So call in the big guns, get somebody else to come in and do it, like Lee Strobel. By the way, there are some, again, please don't take my CDs, DVDs, but Lee Strobel's story just came out in uh, this week. Uh, in Walmart, of all places, and its big top titles, they're pushing it too, about the case for Christ in video form, the story, uh, well acted out. Uh, that's exciting too. God is going to use these men who's got a lot more brains than I do to level the play land so that then we can draw in with a little net the person to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's avoid the big speeches. Maybe let some, like um, David Gooding, do that. <laughs> you sit down and watch a, a DVD with somebody. And when you don't know how to do apologetics, don't try because you'll get burned. Let, some, let somebody come in like that and use the DVD, for instance. And then after it's over, just ask the question, so what do you think? And I've had a lot of atheists or people from other religions say, whoo, that just blew me away. I say, good. Now, Jesus said, and I take my little net, and I quote my verses that you all know. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what it's all about. And you know what? With my little net, I'm able to draw them to Christ, bring them to Jesus, listen to what he's saying. And it's absolutely glorious because it's not me. I'm not the big guns. I don't, didn't, I don't have a doctor's degree and so forth. And yet I've led hundreds of people to Christ. And that's, that's kind of neat to think God Almighty gets all the glory. 1 Corinthians one twenty two says, for indeed they uh, seek wisdom, they seek signs, but we preach Christ crucified. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Black and white, right in our Bible. Very clear. The interconnected truths of the gospel form a strong but open-meshed fisherman's net. That's important. Remember when I said Jesus never sent them out to fish for men with a hook and a, and a line. We don't hook people, we don't trick them, we don't bait them. We'd use a net, and even a little net, too. Well, it's made out of threads that are interconnected. Not Notice, I didn't say interdependent. It's not that this thread will break if I don't have the other thread. So you can quote one thread, like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Notice the subjunctive, should not perish, but a lot do but have everlasting life. That's one thread. Well, the fish might go whammo and hit on the nose and you've drawn them to Christ. But most of the time the fish will say, that's nice, Jesus loves me. Like the uh, Arab man down at the uh, boardwalk last night, he said, well, i got to admit, it gives a lot of peace. But I don't know. He might be here today too because he really wanted to know where this church was. And he's a Muslim. That's kind of neat. He was intrigued by the car. I gave him the word of God, and I started asking questions. And he ended up saying, well, that certainly gives a lot of peace. That's kind of cool. But he's not saved yet, so intercede. I couldn't sleep last night because I was praying for him. Remember, Jesus never used a hook and a line, never tricked anyone. The first strong thread in our net should be the truth about him. I delivered to you of, as of first importance 
what I also received, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the first thread. You really have got to get it down solid. It's all about sin and salvation. Don't deviate about prosperity, all the bonuses, because God does prosper Christians, does take care of them. There's nothing wrong with being a rich Christian. But he died for our sins, not for our bank account. And don't get off track. Make sure that thread is solid because the others will break. Well, 2 Corinthians 4 says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, God with us. Matthew 1.23 It's so important to start with that first thread in your little net of the person of Jesus Christ. Get those verses down solid. And this is a great one because it's got a couple threads in the same verse. Who he is and what he did are truths that are interconnected at the cross. Not interdependent. You can't say one truth will not hold up. It's truth, true whether people like it or not. God is love. God so loved the world, whether they like it or not. But when you add in, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now we've got two threads that are interconnected, and that fish is going to have a hard time getting around that cross. That's kind of neat. The picture is there. What did you do is our strong thread. Just as too many threads no longer is a good net, but a wall, so a net too open is no good. You don't want to bomb somebody with Bible verses. Uh, certain Christians do that. They just the poor unsaved person are going. Oh, they don't can't even ask a question. You know, like push the stop button. Can I rehear that one again? And kind of thing. It's just a whole bunch of truths. That's cool, but it doesn't work usually because the net becomes more like a piece of cloth. And the poor fish is stifled underwater, like this wet rag being thrown over their head. There's the picture. But it's an open net. So we need to give them very carefully, very well-chosen verses that will not trick them, but will draw them and compel them by love to Christ. But let's not have it too open. Just two verses, because there are two truths in that one verse about the person of Christ and what he did for us are really important. But... It's probably not enough for most people. Like I said, one thread, some people get saved with just John 3.16. They put their name in there and they say, wow, that's me, I need this. Others need a second thread, a second truth, and they get stopped by the cross, the crossing of those truths. Well, well sewn together, a good net draws fish in the right direction. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Working in South uh, Florida, you have lots of Catholics because of South America in different countries and also the influence of history on Florida. Um, so you have a, a fishing pond that really needs not a bait, but this thread. I use it all the time in Catholic France. And of course, in my own life, it was a very strong thread because I ran right into that and that truth stopped me. The truth stops people in their tracks. And they go, wow. I'll never forget the, the oldest person I ever led to the Lord was 104 years old when she got saved. She had never seen a Bible. I met her when she was 102. That makes two years of fishing with this woman, of giving her threads, one after the other, and seeing her drawn by the love of Christ. She died when she was 106. At 102, she told me, Oh, Mary is everything for me. I pray to her all the time. If there wasn't a Mary, there wouldn't be Jesus, right? Sounds logical, but it's not biblical. Could have been uh, Suzanne or someone else that God chose, but he chose Mary. Well, she didn't like all those arguments, but the threads, one by one, piling up, were beginning to draw her. And when she died at 106, she told me, Paul, you're right. Jesus is everything to me. Her name is Mary. A third strong threat of truth is that there's only one way of salvation. Who he is, what he did, and there's only one way. Just like we heard this morning at the Lord's table at the end. There's not a whole bunch of options. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. We need to announce that. Say, it's not me that made it up. It's just the way it is. You know, of course, I like mathematics too, and I tell them, you know, how much does one and one make? 
Well, let's not go into high math and all kinds of parabolic formulas and stuff like that, but just one and one. And my answer is always the same. People tell me, two. I say, why not three? Why not four? Why not minus one? Well, the truth is, it's just two. I said, that's right. There's only one truth. It's not, in French we say, à chacun sa vérité, to each person his truth, like we get garbage on television. Well, it's your story, your point of view, it's different truths and so on. No, there's only one truth. Um, by the way, I tuned into a channel down here because I was flipping around. I like to listen to all the radio stations, find out what kind of garbage and if there's anything good on and so forth. I found you don't have much choices here. It's a lot of garbage. Television is kind of the same thing. Um, I hit on one. It's called the Justice Channel, I guess it is, where they're out getting the bad guys. and That was kind of cool because it's true stories. And I was impressed by the police officers in all different states because I watch it when I'm cooking in the kitchen there at the missionary home. And every time, it was the same thing. Hey, buddy, there's only one truth. Don't tell me your story and your baloney. Uh, if you don't want to tell it today, you're going to tell it tomorrow. You're going to be back in the can. And just we'll just wait. We can wait here until we get the truth out. And that's what it's all about. That's reality. And get people to realize there's only one way. It's so important. It's not enough to tell the gospel. What? No. <laughs> And there is salvation in none other, no one else, for there is no other name, I better read up there, <laughs> under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. We need to be saved. Well, that's interesting because you would say, well, if people could just get a good Christian education, it's sort of like teaching the, uh, the um, mafia, don't be bad. Stop putting people's feet in concrete uh, buckets and throwing them in the river. Be good. We'll give you a good education. Education is important to know what should be done, but it doesn't make you do it. And so giving the good news that Christ died for our sins doesn't save anyone. In fact, even the, like we quoted, the demons know that there is a God and they tremble. That means they know there's a judgment too. That's more than most people in America do about God. But they're certainly not saved because you have to do something with that gospel. And this verse says it very closely. We must be saved. We need to move on. Now you know who the Savior is. Now you know who to go to. Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. <laughs> Jesus. Just like Peter, when he's sinking in the, in the sea, he said, Lord, save me. Incidentally, just a theological question. Some people say, you only pray to the Father, never pray to the Son. Sorry, Peter prayed to the Son. Lord, save me. And Jesus did save him. Jesus also says later on, uh, I've been you with so, uh, so long and you have asked me nothing. There's another biblical passage that says you can pray to Jesus. Don't worry. When you pray to G the Father, you're talking to the Son because he and the Father are one. When you're talking to the Son, you're talking to the Father. So don't get hung up with some theological books that end up making Christians not pray and not talk to God. That's terrible. Man, just talk to God. He's there. The Holy Spirit is present right now. Jesus in his body is in heaven. But that's the Spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Jesus said, I and my Father, we will come and dwell within you. I thought it was just the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm getting off on a whole other theological question. When God moves in, it's all of God. And that's wonderful. I have a father. I have a, a big brother. I have the Spirit of Christ. The motivation, the intents of the heart that the Holy Spirit gives me. It's wonderful. Well, we need to be saved. We need not only to learn in our head, but it needs to be a reception of the Savior in our hearts. Matthew 7:13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide that leads to destruction. We need to lead someone to enter into that gate and tell them that truth and say, you need to enter. You need to make a decision. It's not just, oh, now I know the truth, so I'll be in heaven. Unfortunately, I've even heard Christians say that. Well, do you believe in Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he's the only Savior? Yes, that's pretty good. Uh, do you believe that even, do you believe you need to call on the name of the Lord and to be saved? Yes, I believe that. Well, then you must be saved because you believe that. No, they're not. They haven't done it. They got it, but they haven't done it. And this is where I often say in assembly, perhaps you're in that case. For years you've been taught truth 
And you've got it right down. And even young children can memorize the verses and have the truth in their minds and be saying it to us as a group and yet have not done it, have not entered in by Jesus Christ and said, Lord, save me like Peter. I need your salvation. Belief is believing enough to say, I got it. I do believe in my head and now I'm going to ask you to save me because only the Savior saves. Not all your belief and certainly not all your good works. The Savior saves. And it's a miracle. It's a transformation of life. Uh, I shudder when someone says, if they only knew they would be saved. No, a lot of people know and they're not saved. If they only received Jesus, they would be saved. Are you ready to be surprised? Many people are ready to be saved just after hearing the basics. I'm amazed at the number of people that have asked the Lord to save them before I'm ready. <laughs> and they say, I need this. I, I stopped at a gas station and just filled up. And the guy um, saw my car, talked to him, asked him, uh, sowed some seeds, asked some questions. And he said, I need this. I wasn't ready, frankly. <laughs> wow. This is, you know, like 30 seconds into it. And this guy says, I've got a lot of dead defenders and I really need to be saved. Man, I, I was whew, swept off my feet. And that just happened last week. We need to be ready to guide them to the Savior who alone can save. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a really strong thread. Whoever, it's wide. But calls is narrow in a sense on the name of the Lord, not of Buddha or anybody else on Jesus' name. Ask him, they will be saved. Not someone that goes to church or even comes to a good assembly will be saved. It's calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13, another thread. Incidentally, I'm giving you 14 threads real fast. The way of salvation is by faith, believing Christ enough to call on him. Just believing the truth does not save. James 2, 19, even the devils uh, believe and tremble. Some truths are obvious, but avoided. We live in a world of self-delusion and denial. This fourth strong thread in the net brings to mind the fear of the Lord. It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. That's the thread that got my father. I said, Dad. So I asked a question. This is the truth. What are you going to say to God when you meet him? And he said, well, I guess I'll tell him I did the best I could with what he threw at me. I went, oh boy, <laughs> what do I say, Lord? I said, well, Dad, I have to tell God that I did the worst with what he gave me. And I just pleaded that Jesus saved, saved me from my sin. Forgive me for what I did with life. My father was still silent. It took another year before he was saved. But that truth caught him. He couldn't get past it. He knew it was true. And you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It took a year from my father. He was a very proud man, Dr. Joseph E. Hallam. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to Psalm 111, verse 10, Proverbs 1, 7, and a whole bunch of other verses. He rose from the dead and ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Here we are, the person of Jesus Christ will judge the world, the living and the dead. Even death doesn't save us from judgment. The sad fact is that most people live in, the in denial of this very obvious truth. Just try selling life insurance. I never did it, but I have a friend who's a missionary in, in France, and he said, it was unbelievable. When they get old, I could sell them it. But it was too late because the premiums are so high. When they're young, 20 years old, they don't want to hear about dying. We're not going to die. We're eternal kind of thing. So buying life insurance, you've got to be kidding. This is you know, it's just not in, in the picture there. But we need to speak the truth in love and tell them, let's face it, nobody's going to get out of this room alive unless the Lord comes because we're saved. But when you're talking to unsaved people, you can assure them in this restaurant or a football game or whatever you're doing, you know, see this big stadium here? Nobody's going to get out of here alive. Now, I'm not talking about terrorist attack. I'm talking about the cemetery down the street. And we need to face people with that truth. Bring them back to that truth. You might feel, oh, that's old and corny. I don't want to do that. But it's truth, and we need to share that. The common belief that good deeds will outweigh the bad is mortal also, and a, a wrong truth. That's what uh, Islam believes. In fact, one good deed is worth two bad deeds, according to Islam. And so they believe in a balance there. So you just do one, and you can get away with two bad ones. 
and we come out with equal. So you do two good deeds and you did two bad deeds while you're up ahead and you're going to make it to, to paradise. You hope. Of course, Allah is also arbitrary. You can be really good and he just decides, go to hell, and that's the end of you. Uh, our God is not like that. He's just. God is a good judge. He would not excuse a murderer because he or she gives to charity. That's a good judge. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? Notice this question, not of salvation, but of judgment. All his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered for his treachery which he has committed and his sin which he has committed. For them he will die. Ezekiel 18.24. It hasn't changed in the New Testament. Just read 1 Corinthians about some Christians getting into deep sin. We're not à l'abri. I don't know how to say it in English. Uh, we're not um, perfect. We're just forgiven. We can go into some really bad sins too and we'll be judged for them. So that proves that even if you're saved, that idea of the balance and good works against bad works doesn't work. Well, if you're not saved, you're really in trouble because it definitely doesn't work. The fifth thread in the net is often unknown. No matter what you've done in the past, when you sin, you're guilty. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's a matter of trusting Jesus enough to ask him to save them. The truth that in, uh, truths that include everyone are powerful, too. Sometimes people say, well, okay, that's true. There are a lot of rotten people in this world, but I'm different. I had a woman for years who said, well, I never, I never did anything wrong. <laughs> in this one text, two truths are revealed. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The sixth thread in our net is universal. We've all done wrong things. We know this verse by heart, but use it in fishing. And then the seventh thread is also universal. We all miss the mark of goodness. One's negative. We've all done negative things. And the other is we've all blown it on the good side too. Very positive. Nobody can match up to God. There are other universal truths. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, free gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus. The eighth truth is bad news. The ninth truth in this verse, or the ninth thread, is good news. But the gift of God is eternal life. Three or four threads in our net are bad news. That's interesting. A fishing net is not meant to pull fish down, but to lift them up. So I pause at this point when some people say, well, you've got to get them lost before you can get them saved. Find me a verse that says that in the Bible. It doesn't. Instead, we just present the truths. And let's face it, there are a lot of truths that are bad news in the good news. The fact that Jesus died for our sins, that's bad news. It makes me cry. I weep. I think of the sufferings of my Lord for what I did. That's so unjust. Don't ever say God's unjust. Except he's unjust and he saves any one of us. We all deserve to go to hell. Human beings try to turn it around and say, you know, how does God, a good God, send anybody to hell? Why did children die and so forth? We all deserve death. We all deserve going to hell. The amazing thing that if God is unjust in any way, he's unjust in forgiving us and saving us. And so these verses are really hope-filled. The tenth thread in our next net says, people don't even know where they are, like fish unaware of the dangers in the ocean. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's important to present that truth with grace, especially when it's in somebody that's quite intellectual and says, what do you mean I'm lost? I know where I am. <laughs> well, Jesus had that problem with the Pharisees, the scribes who copied the whole word of God. You know, talk about thinking they're not lost. We know the way. We're d disciples of Moses. And yet Jesus very gently, very graciously opened their eyes to realize, you're blind too. Just like this blind man was physically blind, all of you are blind in another way. You're missing it. Because he was the son of God. He's almighty God in their presence and they didn't see him. How can you be that blind? Uh, it's amazing. We're all that way. The tenth thread in our net um, is making people aware. Christ has taken the first step towards us in this verse. And the eleventh thread tells us who he is. There's hope when God is on our side. 
For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's important to present the light of the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the light of the world. I think one of the kids said that verse today too. Uh, John twelve forty seven. He says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I'm not here to drag you down. I'm here to present you right in the face with the truth that you're blind, you're lost, and you need me. And I'm trying to draw you out of this ocean where you get gobbled up by all the sharks out there. And we know they're around. The red thread through our net is amazing. No one could have imagined such a truth. The twelfth thread reveals why Christ died. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his um, scourging, we are healed. That doesn't say Jesus died as a martyr or as a good example. He died for us. He took our place. And that's the red thread of his blood. It's not complicated, but amazing. There's a new song that's come out about the man from North Carolina. Never says who it is. But uh, I really appreciate that song because he says he just preached the simple gospel in front of kings and nobility and poor people, and they got saved. Preaching the blood of Christ is so essential that he bled and died for me. He didn't just teach me a new philosophy, a new way to life, and I trust him, so I I follow him as a master uh, mastermind. But he took my place. He suffered hell for me, and his blood is the price of that sacrifice. We need to say that. That draws on the strings the hardest uh, uh, the strings of our heart, the hardest of all. Why would he take my place? Love has no explanation. It's just declared. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a strong threat. And when you get someone to that point, you've, you, you see the woving of the web, how strong it is. It's hard for somebody to resist the love of Christ. Look at the blood. It's good to get emotional. When you talk about salvation, I have often told, I go to the gospel halls too, they like me to teach on leading people to Christ. Uh, they don't ask me for a letter of uh, introduction, but they know I preach the gospel and a lot of people get saved and so they're happy for it. And I've often said to some of the, the guys there, you know, if I wasn't saved, I want to get saved again tonight. It's so exciting, this good news of Jesus Christ. He's done so much for me and he's, he draws us with his love. There's one truth more attacked than any. Hmm, I thought it was about the blood of Christ. Yet it's the most powerful of them. It is. The 13th thread in our net is this. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 Peter 1.18 through 19 says, You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without spot and blemish. Oftentimes I've met people who said, well, I had a Christian family. I was brought up in, in a Christian country, and, and I've always been a Christian. In fact, we saw that in the Woodland film, the gal says, and right away we all sort of groan like, ooh, when she says to Nate, well, I'm a Christian like everybody else. Ooh, red lights go on, because the blood of Christ has not been applied to their heart. It's been by the Trishans from their men. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What a powerful thread that is. How can we be sure of being saved? The 14th thread, and remember I said there are seven going one way and seven going the other way. I'm presenting to you this morning just a small net, and that makes a strong one. The 14th thread completes our little net with confidence. This truth contains two interconnected. The resurrection of Jesus assures the resurrection of those he has saved. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. He is a living Savior. That's really important to get across. Not a dead hero. All the other religions of the world, Buddha's dead and all these different philosophies and so forth, and even people that have followed in cults, their cult leaders are dead and gone. But Jesus Christ is a living Savior, and he works today to save people. He doesn't just give us a message 
to teach a philosophy to other disciples to follow in this sort of tradition. But he intervenes. We are workers together with him. We're just communicating his message so people will talk to him and say, Lord, save me. That's fantastic. Without this thread in your net, there's a huge hole. And unfortunately, that happens. Sometimes we bring someone to Christ, we see them being drawn, and we forget to say, Jesus is alive today because the Bible says this. And you will be alive because of it for eternity because of it. And that hole sometimes is the little hole, or as I said, a huge hole, where the fish gets away. It says, okay, this is not for me. I understood everything, and those threads were drawing me in, but I'm going out this hole there. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and our eternal life is extremely important as a thread. There's no gospel without it. It's the good news. So three R's, again, not reading, writing, arithmetic. Review, react, and remember. Let's review what we said. Christ is the Savior. Let me put my glasses on because it's so small on my screen. He died because of our sins. He alone can save. There is a judgment. Good deeds don't outweigh bad ones. All have sinned. We all miss the mark. Sin leads to death. God's gift is life. Christ seeks sinners. Jesus is God with us. He died in our place. His blood paid our redemption. And his resurrection is the guarantee of ours. Now, that's just a summary of those verses. Those are not the threads. Make sure you don't just give people summaries. Remember the threads. And for that reason, I've prepared two papers. One is the Gospel of John in review. You'll see again the five steps of Jesus leading people to Christ in the outline of the book. It just jumps right off the page when you look at this, the survey of the book of John. And the second page are at the 14 verses that I just gave to you. So you can review them and say, I'm going to memorize these verses. I want to have this little net with me so I can take it with me. And I encourage you to look at the table and take anything you want in the middle table. Not my Bible's over there, but the mission table, everything can go. And the uh, papers over there of what we've done this weekend can go. Um, And pray that the Lord will use you to take that net and draw in souls for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word, how powerful it is. Thank you so much for uh, living on this earth, not only telling us how to do it, but doing it and showing us and making those 12 men strong disciples. Lord, make us strong disciples of you to follow you, to do what you want us to do. And I do pray for this afternoon that you'll give us the courage to take our net of truths from your word and, and challenge those who come with the truth and ask them questions about it and say, what do you think about this that God said? In Jesus' name, amen.